When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. I'm Daniel Connolly here with Megan Gower. UConn goes 2-0 this past week. Two interesting wins, to say the least. A 69-61 win over Providence and a 76-56 win over Creighton, where the final score is doing a lot of heavy lifting in there. Very much does not say the story of what happened over the course of those 40 minutes. But before we get into the basketball, we have a show announcement that has been literal months in the making. If you've been a relative longtime listener, we have been talking about this for a very, very long time, have been promising this for a very, very long time, and are finally able to come through. Chasing Perfection is going to be getting its own feed on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, if you're a weirdo like me, wherever you get your podcasts, Chasing Perfection is going to have its own feed. It's not going to be under the Yukon blog anymore. We have a logo. We have a place to host it. It'll be on the Yukon Women's Basketball Weekly, a subsection of that. I'm very, very excited. Hopefully, I need to do a little work in this regard, but hopefully we'll be able to get the entire show archive moved over To the new feed, that is still a little to be determined. I haven't looked too far into it, but nonetheless, we will have our own feed. The day has finally come. So with that out of the way, Providence. UConn goes down to Providence. A changed game time, a changed location. Aaliyah Edwards said post-game on the radio that they weren't able to practice on Saturday because of the snow. Instead of going up there and staying over the night before, they went up to the Providence the day of the game, whether it was the changes, whether it was not practicing, whether it was losing Dorka Juhas to a foot injury, as much as you can lay an egg against a team like Providence in the Big East, they laid an egg and Gino was not afraid to say it afterwards, saying that the only reason they won was because they had more McDonald's All-Americans and because they recruited better because Providence outplayed them. They just didn't have the talent. That is some heavy criticism, and I didn't really get a chance to watch the game because I was covering Connecticut Ice for Hockey, but it sounds like it was pretty much correct, too. Yeah, it was just an all-around ugly game. I mean, they turned the ball over a lot. It just didn't shoot well. I mean, the shooting numbers don't look that bad when I'm looking at it, but defensively left some to be desired, too. I mean, Janae Coombs for... Providence scored 27 points. There, there's no reason that should have happened. So just all around, not a great game. But also really shame on Providence for moving that game because they would have got to play that in the Dunkin' Donuts Center and it would have been a close game with UConn, which is the kind of thing that you want to be showcasing for your program. Yeah. Again, you could have still played it at the Dunkin' Donuts Center if you moved when you moved the men's game 
to 1230 and bumped out the women's game and forced them to play after Connecticut ice wrapped up because SNY was broadcasting that whole tournament. Instead, they didn't. It seemed like it was a decent crowd at Alumni Hall anyways. I think it was 1500 or somewhere in that range. But I wonder how much of that could have been larger if it was at the Dunkin' Donuts Center, if the change in time disrupted people's plans, if even just the weather affected people, because some people might not have fully dug out, especially if you were in parts of the state or New England that really got hammered with snow. So that also could have been a factor too. But just overall, a very bad look about Providence. UConn may not have deserved to win, but Providence definitely deserved to lose just because of moving the game location above anything else. <laughs> yeah also like the place that they played they were literally talking about how the fans like have to walk across the court to go to the bathroom and like there was salt everywhere it was just a whole disaster <laughs> anytime you're playing at one of these arenas where the place that the level that the players are walking out on is the same level that the entire stadium comes into that really should not be a suitable basketball arena for a high level conference like the Big East. Well, high level on the men's side, it should be a high level conference on the women's side if they put in that same investment, but we don't need to get into that right now. I remember Tulane was similar to that where you would come out on the floor. And I think I spotted at Creighton last night that the fans also had to go onto the floor for that one. That that shouldn't be happening in a game that not only UConn's playing at, but at a Big East game in general. It needs to be held to a higher standard on the women's side because, again, as I said last episode, they're essentially playing in the men's practice facility because that's what it is. If there was a positive in the Providence game, it would have to be Aaliyah Edwards, right? Yeah, I think that is probably the one good takeaway from that game um, is Aaliyah Edwards, her final stats, not that all that impressive, but her first half of basketball was definitely the, the best half that we've seen from her all season long. She had seven points in just the first half, um, six rebounds total and five assists. I believe four of those five assists were also in, in the first half there. So in Dorky Uhas's absence, she was really able to, to make up for that and come out and play a good game. So that was a positive sign to see that and Kristen Williams being back and, you know, scoring 19 points, eight of 12 shooting. She looked really good out there as well. Yeah. Kristen has come back from having COVID and I don't think you really could have blamed her if it took her a couple games just to really get her feet back under her and get back into the groove. But she picked up right where she left off before getting COVID and has probably been UConn's best player in her last five games because Caroline Ducharms hit a bit of a rough patch just in terms of consistency and things like that and avoiding mistakes. Olivia Nelson Adotas had a, had a bit of a rough game at Providence was really good at Creighton, but hasn't necessarily been as consistent as she was. This is a Kristen Williams that we were kind of expecting to see at the beginning of the season saw for the preseason game and what maybe two or three games after that, before she then went into another funk, the eternal question remains if she can keep this up, but right now, at least she's playing well. Yeah, definitely. So I think what the Providence game showed us was that UConn still definitely has some room to grow. Development is definitely not linear, but I still generally felt that they were probably going to bounce back against Creighton. They've shown in the past that these bad games usually don't pile up on each other. They usually respond pretty well. 
And then they didn't show up to the first 17 minutes of the game against Creighton. Gino Ariama literally did not show up. He fell ill with a non-COVID illness before the game. Chris Daly took over acting head coaching duties. And UConn played horrible the first 17 minutes as a whole, but especially in the first quarter where they couldn't do anything on offense. They were stagnant. They couldn't shoot. They were throwing the ball away. And what was particularly concerning was their defense wasn't doing anything. They were just letting Creighton get wide open shots from three and Creighton was hitting them. Creighton had four three pointers in the first quarter. UConn had four made baskets total. It seriously looked like UConn's first loss in conference play since 2013 was going to be a blowout. It really didn't seem like they were going to turn that thing around. Yeah, it was just a really ugly first half. They had a lot, or first quarter, they had a lot of turnovers. They, not only was Creighton like hitting threes, but they were just allowing them to hit threes, I think is the more concerning thing. They weren't really guarding well on the perimeter. They didn't have a hand in the face. Like, it's one thing if they're going to knock down threes with a hand in their face and you just kind of have to shrug your shoulders and it happens, but they weren't even doing a good job of guarding them on the perimeter. No, a good three-point shooting team is going to hit wide open three-pointers, which is exactly how we know that UConn isn't a good three-point <laughs> shooting team because they don't do precisely that. Creighton hit them. UConn was down, I think it was only 12, but it felt like it was a lot larger than 12 just because of how bad UConn looked. Yeah, and I'm being down 12 after just like one quarter, it's quite a bit of a hole to dig yourself into that quickly. Right. I mean, you space that out over an entire game and that's a 50 point loss essentially, which yeah, you don't want to be losing games by 50 points. It's not <laughs> what you want. Then it seemed like it might've turned around a little bit out of the first media timeout, which came later in the first quarter because Kristen Williams gets a steal eventually after a miss and an offensive rebound and a little bit of action, she gets a layup. And then she gets a foul shortly after, which I really didn't think was actually a foul, but you got to play with what gets called. She heads to the bench with her second foul of the game. And then UConn kind of slid backwards back into the way that were, they were playing until they started to figure out things at the end of the second quarter. Yeah, exactly. They had closed the second quarter on, I think it was a 12-2 run. So really we're able to just kind of cut into that deficit. They went into half only down to something just started clicking, I think, on the offense, and that seemed to translate into their defense getting a little bit better as well, and they kind of just closed that gap there. I think it was Amina Westbrook hit a big three that kind of got them going at one point, so that was a good sign to see. I think it was one of her better games than we've seen in a while. She had, I think, finished with 10 points, five rebounds, and five assists, but just a little bit more of the Amina Westbrook that we're, we are accustomed to seeing in that game. Right. I thought this was maybe not her best game, but this was absolutely the type of performance that she needed to get back on the right track after struggling so much over the last few weeks, just because it looked like what she did last year, where she hit a couple big three pointers when UConn needed them, but the focus wasn't all on just scoring or shooting or defense or rebounding. She was just doing a little bit of everything, filling in the gaps where they were needed. That's what she has to get back to to keep making an impact. And if she's playing like that every single night with Caroline Ducharme being a big scorer and Kristen Williams playing the way she is, and even AZ Fudd becoming more of a threat on a consistent basis instead of just in these little flashes and spurts, then 10 points from Avina Westbrook per game is huge when you add that to 50, 60, 70 points from 
everybody else and from some of their big guns on top of eventually getting Paige Beckers back, which is only going to help everyone on the roster improve. So I think I was really, really impressed by Avina Westbrook too. It just felt like she had refound herself, refound what she needed to do to help this team. And hopefully that can continue going forward. Yeah, agreed. I think this is exactly what they need from a bit of whisper. She doesn't need to come out and score 20 points. She just needs to go out and do what she does. And that's kind of filling the gaps where UConn needs it when that's hitting a couple big threes or getting assists or coming up with steals, things like that. And she did that in this game. I think what stood out to me so much about that run at the end of the second quarter, just to jump back on that briefly, is it happened all so quickly because UConn still felt like it was going through the motions in the second quarter and then all of a sudden they just exploded for 10 straight points in the last three minutes and they got within two with basically a minute left and it seriously felt like they were going to get a stop go down the other end and hit a three to take the lead going into halftime after basically not showing up for the first 17 minutes it would have been just an incredible scene if they managed to pull that off and even the fact that they got down within two at halftime that really seemed to flip the game. And once UConn started to come back, one of the big things I noticed was that the look that UConn had in its eye in the first quarter and into the second quarter when it couldn't do anything right, suddenly that happened to Creighton. And Creighton was struggling to handle the pressure of having to hit these shots and stopping UConn's run and everything like that. It was almost like whatever bad mojo was infecting UConn suddenly just transferred itself over into Creighton and derailed them for the rest of the game once UConn went on that run. Yeah, exactly. It was just kind of like a full momentum shift once that UConn went on that run, and then that just spiraled into the the third and fourth quarter. And, I mean, UConn ends up winning this game by 20 points, which is obviously not what you thought was going to happen after watching that first quarter. But I think it was a really, really good, what, 23 minutes of basketball, we think. Like, they played – really great basketball for the third and fourth quarter on the end of that second quarter. And I think that we're starting to see like what this team can do when they're firing on an, all, all cylinders and when they look good, but we also got in the first in this part of the second quarter there, how bad this team can look as well. So things are definitely, you can see that things are coming together, but it's still going to be a process. I think for this team to put it together for 40 minutes, night in and night out. Right. It's all about the consistency because I think it's fine to see UConn not necessarily play well in one game against Providence, or it's fine for them to have an ugly first quarter against Creighton. But I think it's a little more concerning when they back up next to each other, because that's essentially 37 minutes where they really didn't, or not 37 minutes, 57 minutes where they really didn't play well. So yeah, I think you have to weigh the good with the bad because When they're good, they're starting to look really good, and they look like a team that is just going to be adding Paige Beckers instead of having her be the savior. But when they're bad, it looks like they could have Paige Beckers, Diana Taurasi, and Brianna Stewart out on the floor, and they still wouldn't be fixing all of the team's issues. It is just such a large gulf right now between the good and the bad. But to use the graph analogy that Gino had a few weeks ago where when it's going up, it gets really high, but when it goes down, it takes a long time to get back up. I think we're starting to see them get back to that higher point quickly. Maybe it went down if we say during the Providence game, 
it at least only took them a game and a half to get it back up instead of using this as a three game funk where maybe you pull out an ugly win against Creighton, but then you don't play well against Butler and then you get beat up against Tennessee on Sunday. And then you finally start to turn it back around against Villanova on Wednesday. Now, at least they're on pretty good footing to go into this weekend, a really big weekend and try and build on this performance, at least the performance of the last 23 minutes and get probably your only chance at a really good win the rest of the season. Yeah, exactly. I think we've seen things turn around quickly and it's, I mean, part of it has to be too. They just like, I feel like they just keep getting slapped in the face. It's just one thing after another, like Dorfman goes down and they lose Gino last minute for the game against Creighton. So it's just like, it continues to be this pattern of one thing after another, which of course has to affect somewhat what's going on on the court too. So I think seeing them rebound more quickly from these things is definitely a good sign that I think they're just getting used to the adversity, which is only going to help them in the long run. Right. And I thought it was notable that Chris Daly said post game, she seemed to make a point of saying that they got contributions from everyone. And that's the sign of a really good team because we've gotten to talk to Chris Daly a decent amount over the last few years. Cause Gino's missed a game in each of the last four years. And I've always found that CD has really good answers and always has some insight or explains things a little more thoroughly or in a different way, I think is a better way to put it than the way Gino would, because I feel like Gino is a little more abstract and has a wider view of everything that's going on. And he speaks in broader terms, but Chris Daly basically just breaks down X, Y, Z. Well, our offense wasn't very good in the first few quarters because we got sped up and we try and score too much and we don't give the defense a chance to make a mistake. And then we, calmed ourselves down in the second quarter and once we did that it helped our defense and whereas I feel like with Gino it would have been well we sucked in the first quarter and we didn't suck in the second quarter which both quotes are great for different reasons it's just interesting to hear it come from CD and I think a lot of times you're trying to filter through what Gino says sarcastically what he says to maybe try and motivate his team in a different way and what he's actually being honest and truthful about. And I think we get a bit of a clearer picture with CD. So I think it's notable that she says, she points out that everyone contributed and the sign of a really good team is everyone helping out. So it seems like she took away from this game more positives than negatives. At least that was my interpretation of what she said post game. Yeah, that's how I felt too. And I agree. I think when Gino talks to the media, it's a little bit of its own sport, <laughs> what he says and like what he's going to come out with. But CD is definitely more straightforward. And I think hearing her be positive after the game and I mean, everyone did really contribute. That is kind of what they got in that game. So it feels like her takeaway was positive as well, which I think it should be, right? You beat a good Creighton team by 20 points, which is even more impressive when you consider how bad it started off. So you were able to really come back and play really great for 23 minutes of that game. And I think that's a good sign. Here's the other thing about that first quarter too. Paige Becker's being out there isn't going to solve the problems that they had, but it seemed like the root of their problems was that they were playing too fast. That's what CD made it sound like they were playing too fast. And when you play too fast, you're not allowing the defense to make mistakes. So you're not getting good shots. You're trying to rush things. So you're throwing the ball away, which this team loves to do. And I feel like not moving and getting a little stagnant isn't really tied into that as much, but when your shots aren't falling and you're making turnovers and 
seems like everything's going wrong, then you can understand where some stagnation comes from. If you have Paige Beckers out there, though, not only is she going to be someone that can slow the offense down and will slow the offense down, she's someone that can hit shots and create things out of nowhere that at least break up a long scoring drought. And she protects the ball a lot better than really anyone. So she can help at least cover up a lot of these problems. And instead of it maybe being 12 points, having Paige out there might mean that it's only a six point game. And then the low points are a lot lower or are a lot less low. You know what I'm saying? And then the high points are way higher because you have everything else clicking on top of the best player in the country being out there. So I think what we're starting to see is yes, having page out there won't necessarily prevent anyone else besides page from turning the ball over or making poor decisions and Paige can't help every single player hit a shot. If threes aren't falling for Kristen Williams or Avina Westbrook or Nika Mule or Caroline Ducharme, pick whoever you want. Paige simply being out there isn't going to help that. She helps remove a lot of the symptoms of why these things are going wrong. She's going to be the primary ball handler, so she's going to take better care of the ball. She's going to be able to slow the offense down. She's going to be drawing so much attention from the defense that maybe Caroline Ducharme will be more open on the three-point line and have better shots to take, or it'll be easier for her to get to the basket. The fact that we're seeing growth from the team, I think is a really good sign because then you just plug Paige Beckers back in. Aside from maybe the first 17 minutes of this game, I don't really think there's been a lot of times where it's felt like, all right, well, this is going to be completely different when Paige is here. It just feels like she's going to boost up what's already happening instead of returning and transforming the entire team. Because the problem at the beginning of the year was that she was doing everything and the team was letting her do everything. And I think a more gradual return for her, if she can only play, let's just say 12, 10 minutes in the first game, then the entire team still has to be playing the way they are. And you just get Paige Beckers out there for 10 minutes. And then as that slowly increases, she just gets woven into how everything's working. And it sounds simple, but it's the truth that when you have more good players out there and more good players available, you're going to play well. So yeah, Providence might've played well on Sunday, but they just didn't have the players and the talent and the personnel to compete with UConn. UConn has the talent personnel and everything to compete with the best teams in the country. They have all that to be the best team in the country, but you have to be able to play that way first. And I think they're starting to get there. I'm not going to say that they're definitely 100% there yet, but we're seeing more and more stretches where they are at that level. It's just not consistent and it's not necessarily coming out every single game. Yeah, exactly. I think it's definitely there. It's just not there consistently. And as they can get more consistent in these next at least few games that are not going to still not going to have Paige Beckers, then when you add her back in, it's going to be a lot better. And I think when you look at, I mean, they still got have a lot of time too, right? When you look at this team, I mean, they've got a big game of Tennessee this weekend, but when you look at what this team is at right now and the fact that it's going to have Paige Beckers back, that consistency needs to come back for what like regionals like they've got some buffer room 
in between where like they can afford to play a little bit like they did yesterday where they're going to play three great quarters of basketball and one bad quarter of basketball. And that's still going to be enough against most teams once Paige Beckers is back. I definitely agree. I think if you look at the calendar, we don't know yet when Paige Beckers is coming back, but she definitely seems to be trending in the right direction. She posted a very cryptic Instagram post the other day or a series of Instagram posts on her story with every single player and fingers crossed emojis and hinting that she'll be back out there soon. Monday is eight weeks from her surgery. So she's right in that time frame, but she still does have a brace on that knee. So we haven't had a chance to ask Gino or whoever what that timeline is, but I think you'd like maybe another week to get things going with the current team that you have and have them start to figure things out then maybe yeah, let's just stretch things out. Say you get a week, week and a half of a reintroduction period for Paige Beckers. I still think you want maybe a couple games in the regular season and then the Big East tournament and then those first couple games to then figure out how you're going to play with Paige Beckers out there because as good as she is and as well as the team might be playing, it's still just you're still going to be building the team around her. There's that's not changing no matter how these next few weeks unfold. So I do think you're going to want some continuity with the lineups and figure out those matchups and everything like that with the current team and get everything set to go. Ideally by the time you go into the NCAA tournament, but at the very least, by the time you get to regionals, I don't think if you're going into Bridgeport or Spokane, wherever it is, and Paige has only been playing in the NCAA tournament, I think you might be in not trouble, but you're on some shaky ground. So there's definitely a lot of time, but you're going to need the time to reintegrate her. And I don't want to say rebuild the team in her image because that's not what it is, but just figure it all out and have enough time to work through the kinks that you might have with her coming back into the fold. So it's definitely going to be a process. There's time. But at the same time, it is February. So this is the last month of the regular season. It's both, there's plenty of time and we're also running out of time. It's a very (laughs) weird spot to be in. Yeah, exactly. Like there is still a good amount of time left, but yeah, as they get further and further into late February and early March, I think her being back in the the fold of things is going to be more and more important in terms of just getting those reps in before you get to an elite eight type opponent. Um, you think they're going to need to get that ironed out earlier on. But I think as long as she's back, you know, end of regular season game, Big East tournament, that's enough time. Plus you've got a couple games in the NCAA tournament before that. So that should be enough time to iron everything out. Yeah, I'm not overly concerned, especially there's nothing to believe that Paige has suffered a setback. I mean, she's off crutches. She seems to be moving around pretty well. She seems to just look better i know that sounds a little weird but i remember one of the first games she was out sitting side or courtside at gamble during warm-ups and she came over and was signing autographs for some kids and taking photos and you could just see she had a smile and everything but you could just see in her eyes that it was killing her that she wasn't out there and i feel like the last couple times i've seen her up close she's been a lot brighter she's just been in a better mood so it seems like without knowing anything just kind of speculating that it's moving along hopefully that cryptic instagram post was a good thing and not you know (laughs) next season i'll be out there with you guys who knows but 
yeah, seems seems to be getting better. Yeah, exactly. I don't think we've seen anything that would suggest that it's not she's not going to be back, you know, or soonish with the you know original timeline. So I don't think there's anything to be worried about at this point. Big weekend ahead, matchup we've been waiting for all season long. Probably the biggest regular season game at home this year. Butler comes to town on Friday. Should be a huge, huge matchup. Should be a sold-out Gamble Pavilion. And then some community college from down south is coming up on Sunday. I don't I, I don't know too much about them, but Butler, that's going to be a big one. I, I think they finally surpassed the one-win mark on the season, so that yeah. should be a pretty big test for UConn women's basketball. <laughs> yeah. I actually don't know if they've gotten the second win. I was just hoping that they did I hope no so. they're still one in 17 and oh, 0 and nine no. in Big East play good god <laughs> is western illinois even a division one team because they lost to them i i don't know <laughs> not only did they lose to them they lost to them by 27 <laughs> they only beat trine in an exhibition i don't even know what that is they are a, they are a division one team at least at least really in yeah. what conference the summit never heard Actually, of them a good prof, a decent conference i think that's the one that like south dakota and south dakota state are in oh okay that's not the one that was that the one that butler used to be in or were they in the horizon no they were horizon league, i think they were right? Horizon. i was like summit league is like a decent major conference so i don't think that's what butler was Maybe. i think the summit the horizon does the horizon league even exist anymore uh, it probably does but i don't know who's in it <laughs> those two and the missouri valley conference all kind of blend together in my head that's odd i feel like the horizon league is like irrelevant <laughs> and missouri valley conference is like probably the best major conference hands down <laughs> it's just like the vibes of all the teams are the same though they're just these random little schools in the midwest that i've never really heard of that sometimes get really good at basketball fair (laughs) so butler's lone win oh my god sorry before i get to that xavier beat butler by 22 and last i checked xavier only had one win in conference play (laughs) which is butler (laughs) yes yes (laughs) then they went to four ot's against denver and lost 100 to 94 and their lone win came against evansville 75 67 so now my question is how bad is evansville <laughs> you have to be really bad if you're losing uh, to butler let's see the oh, no they're only seven and 12 that's not bad they are 318th out of 356 in hoops that's rating though so i feel like they've just played a bad schedule i mean granted butler is 334th out of 356 so <laughs> Who's last? How terrible do you have to be to be last? I'm gonna I'll look it up. <laughs> is it like Uhart or someone? It very good chance it might be Uhart. Okay, so Hartford is 344, which I believe is the lowest one so far, right? Yeah. They're two and sixteen. Poor Hartford. They deserve so much better. All right. The worst one is Delaware State. They have yet to win a game. There's two teams in NCAA was Division One that has yet to lose win a game. It's New Orleans and Delaware State. Those are the last two in I've I've oddly heard of Delaware State. I want to say that their mascot is like a wasp or a hornet or something. <laughs> Damn. That's 
that's tough. Yep. <laughs> Last year, they probably would have canceled their season already. Yes. <laughs> Realistically. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, the bottom here, though. There's a lot of, like, New England teams. We've got, like, the bottom 25, Bryant, Butler, which is not um, New England, but Big East, <laughs> Dartmouth, <laughs> Hartford. <Yeah. laughs> it's kind of weird. I, I just find that slightly odd. Yeah. Nichols, I think that's in the Northeast somewhere. Boston, maybe. I don't know. Nichols. <laughs> there might be a Nichols around... I think there is a Nichols in Massachusetts, but I don't think they're Division One. Ah. So there must be a Division One Nichols. Okay, well now I need to look it up. Apparently, there's a Nichols State. Maybe it's that. <laughs> it's in Louisiana. Uh, okay, that seems oddly fitting. <laughs> Anyways, we've extended this bit way too long. Tennessee <laughs> comes to Hartford on Sunday. UConn's last chance for a really good win. A win would probably go a long way to bumping them onto the two line. You could maybe make an argument that whoever wins this game might end up getting that two spot in the NCAA tournament. And plus, I think this is the first game where the UConn-Tennessee rivalry is actually going to have some juice going into it in terms of the basketball matchup, not just because of the history because Tennessee is actually good this year. And even though last year's was a close game, I don't think it was supposed to be a close game. So this one should be fun. Yeah, it should be a really fun game, but I agree. It's the last chance for UConn to get like a really good win. Yes, they're going to probably have, well, they're going to have at least one more, maybe two more cracks at DePaul and those are good wins, but it's not, they're just lacking that, like that big win, which this would be if they can get it. And I personally, like, unless something wild happens and they lose some other games, like, I don't see how if they beat Tennessee without Paige Packers, you keep them off the two line. It just doesn't make sense to me, like, why you would do that. I think that would bump up their resume enough in terms of having a statement win. And then, like, you know this team is getting Paige Packers back, so it just feels like that would be enough to get them onto the two line, which is obviously going to go a long way for them being in Bridgeport. Right. I was just going to say, I think the only thing that would guarantee them getting into Bridgeport would be if they ended up on the one line, which I can't see happening, mm-hmm. but two feels like they would have it about as locked up as they could without having it guaranteed. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's still going to depend on how other things fall, but I think you've probably got a better shot at it that way. I mean, things are going to change a lot already. They already have from last week. I haven't redone it to try to see where they would be right now, but I mean, the, the thing with like having four teams from the SEC and four teams from the the Big 12 in it right now is like those teams all have to play each other. So teams are going to lose and it's going to change things. Right. I'm excited to see what the crowd's going to be on Sunday because I think both the men and the women have seen lower than typical crowds just because of the COVID spike. Numbers are dropping down to pre-Christmas levels. I don't know how much that means, though, if people are going to be more willing to come out to a game, especially something like Tennessee. But as great as Gamble Pavilion is, a big game, a full house at the XL Center is unbelievably loud. Just with how steep the stands are, it feels like the entire arena is on top of the court. I don't think the crowd was all that great for the last Tennessee game, and that wasn't a particularly great game either. So I'm really excited to see what this one is like and how much energy and excitement there will be going into it. 
Yeah, I could see it being a big crowd, especially because there just haven't been a lot of good home games this season. Like, there's not like there's been, you know, a chance to see Baylor and a chance to see, well, I mean, Notre Dame was home and that was ended up being a decent game, but it's still not the same like Notre Dame. There hasn't been those like big statement home games. This is kind of that game. So I think if people bought tickets for like one game, this is probably it. Right. That's a good point. It's a good time too. 12 o'clock on a Sunday. Yeah. Also the week between the championship weekend in the NFL and the Super Bowl. So it's not like people aren't going to be showing up because they're pre-gaming for the Super Bowl or they're driving or they're making food or anything like that. I don't think the Pro Bowl is going to be drawing people away from the XL Center on Sunday. So it's a really nice combination for the schedule for people to come. And obviously Hartford is going to be a lot easier for people to get to, especially if you're just a casual women's basketball fan in New York or New Jersey, and you want to come up to see UConn, Tennessee, even though it's only a half hour difference, I feel like it's going to be mentally a lot easier to just go to Hartford instead of having to drive out all the way to stores, wherever that is. So that's probably going to help it too. Like the public transportation option too. Like you can take the train from the city into Hartford. You can take the bus. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's a big thing too, I think. But yeah, I think it should be a good crowd. I am a little bit insulted that UConn has Red Panda coming for the men's game on Tuesday instead of on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, what is that about? That is I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm also really mad I'm not going to be at that game on Tuesday. Same. I, like, I was like, there's too much going on next week. I'm not going to that men's game. <laughs> My sister sent me the screenshot today. She's like, Red Panda's coming. Are you going to reconsider your decision not to go? <laughs> yeah, like I need month's notice when red panda is coming because i will build my entire schedule around that (laughs) of course i gotta go up to merrimack lovely north andover massachusetts to watch (laughs) hockey in the worst rink in hockey east yeah very mad about that yeah but i mean red they like it's probably just a scheduling thing where red panda was booked on sunday but will the women play home against villanova the next day so why yeah. is Red Panda not coming to that one? Yeah. I'm now okay. I'm actually mad. <laughs> I, I, just disappointed. Disappointed more than anything that I don't yeah. get to see Red Panda. I also don't think like there has been an actual halftime show at any game yet this season. Like I have not seen one. I think they had the Frisbee dogs at one uh, of them. Okay. I think. I must and I want to say it was a women's game. It was probably Notre Dame because I missed that game. And that seems like a game they would have an actual halftime show at. But yeah, probably. I, I didn't even think of that. See, like. For, it's just small children playing basketball. <laughs> see, for the women, I'm so focused on writing during halftime that I don't even pay attention to what's happening on the court. And for the men. Yeah, I, I think I just kind of zone out because there hasn't been a halftime show. So I haven't really paid attention to what's happening. <laughs> Anyways. On that note, <laughs> what I was saying, anyways, we should probably actually talk about Tennessee. <laughs> Have we not actually talked about Tennessee? <laughs> no, we've. I think we've completely glossed over the fact of who Tennessee actually is. Yeah, no, let's let's talk about that. So, good team. I mean, really good team. This is the best team that they've had. Not even in the post Pat Summit era. And, the last decade because those last years of the pat summit era weren't anything special I, I think i'm remembering that right like holly warlick had a couple good years riding 
Pat's last few recruits, but nothing all too special. The number seven team in the country, UConn's number 10. They were number four in the initial NCAA bracket reveal, then promptly lost to Auburn, dropped three spots as a result, but still good team, tough matchup. Yeah, really good team. That Auburn loss was a bad loss. Like it was not a good loss for them to pick up. Their only other loss before that was Stanford. I don't really know how they managed to lose to Auburn. I don't think that Auburn team has won an SEC game since like 2019, early 2019. So I'm not sure what happened there. But anyway, yeah, really solid team. I mean, they were without Ray Burrell for a lot of the season. She's back in their starting lineup. You know, one of the better players in the country is going to be a tough matchup for everyone, but kind of the players that have been driving things when she's been out have been Jordan Horston and Tamari Key. Tamari Key is going to be a good matchup inside, um, a, a strong center, a lot of size, but I feel like it's a matchup. I think I'm very interested to see how Olivia Nelson Adota does in this game because Tamari Key is also a little inconsistent. So I think it's a chance for us to see, like, can Olivia Nelson and Dota win that matchup? That would be a really big step forward, I think, to see her do that. And the way she's been playing lately, I think that's a possibility. So I'm interested to see how kind of that battle goes. But then you've got Ray Burrell and Jordan Horston and our two guards that also have some size. So that's going to be a challenge for UConn to guard. But really what it comes down to is, like, UConn getting offense going against Tennessee's defense. They're not an all-star offensive team by any means like I don't think that UConn's gonna have that much trouble defending them in terms of like they shoot themselves in the foot enough on their own but their defense is really good they have the number one field goal percentage defense in the country UConn tends to struggle with these teams that are really tense on the intense on the defensive end because they have so many struggles of their own on the offensive end so I think that's going to be the key here can UConn not do what they did in that first quarter about against Creighton and get speed up and turn over the ball a lot they're going to have to be more diligent on offense and make good passes and find way to knock down shots so while you were talking I looked up Auburn's last SEC win it came in the SEC tournament against Vanderbilt in 2020 it was a 10 a.m tip-off (laughs) <laughs> was I didn't even hit. know that existed that's like a <laughs> one of those like when you're growing up and you get to go in the gym at 10 a.m because that's when it's available type thing <laughs> it's wild yeah <laughs> but yeah I think there's a lot of factors in this game that are going to be a really good test for UConn which is good for this time of year I think normally UConn would be running through a lot of blowouts right now even though they've had some tough tests but Outside of DePaul, Olivia Nelson Adota is not going to get a whole lot of trouble from anyone in the conference. So it's a good matchup for her. I don't think any defenses really are at this level that Tennessee is. So that's also going to be a good opportunity for this offense to show its growth, especially without Paige Beckers. I think it's going to have to be a big Caroline Ducharme, Kristen Williams type game while also getting some scoring in the post, whether it's Nelson Adota, Aaliyah Edwards, or... Dorka Juhas, assuming that she's back, which she's supposed to be. Yeah, I think yeah, having I think Dorka back for this game is going to be really important because Tennessee is also, in addition to being good at defense, they're very good on the glass. So I think Dorka has kind of been the best rebounder on this team that we've seen. So having her back for this game is pretty critical. So hopefully she'll be available. Right. I was a little surprised when I was looking up the numbers, just how impactful Dorka Juhas is on the boards, because 
it's been a bit of a tough year for her. I don't think she's necessarily been the standout all big 10 type player that she was in the past, but she's still been a really solid contributor for this team. And even with her not playing in the last two games, she is second on the team in offensive rebounds with 37, which is just six behind Olivia Nelson Adota. And she's just one of two players on the team with a hundred rebounds. Olivia Nelson Adota has 153, which is way more than anyone, but Dorka Juhas has 105. And again, you consider that she hasn't played in the last two games either. So that really just, I think to me, underlined how important she is on the glass and yeah again gonna be really important going forward into this Tennessee game too exactly yeah I think the other thing is just gonna be for UConn to make sure that they don't turn the ball over time don't allow Tennessee to get easy shots if you can stop them from getting out and transition they're gonna have a hard time scoring so that's gonna be I think a big piece as well don't allow them those easy opportunities um I think in general it's going to be a low scoring game which in a way favors UConn because they struggle to score the ball. So I think as long as they can kind of keep it low scoring, but are able to knock down some shots, they'll, they can, they can win it. I don't know if they're going to win it, but they can win it. I feel like a big factor in this game is going to be AZ because if AZ has one of those games that we've seen a couple times where she just starts becoming unconscious from behind the three point line, I think that's going to be really hard for Tennessee to stop. And I think it's going to be really hard for them to, keep up if she's just draining threes one after one whereas everyone else I think we see a pretty consistent output from she's a bit of a wild card in that this is only going to be her fifth game back and it hasn't really been all that consistent for her she was really good against DePaul invisible against Providence and had a really good fourth quarter against Creighton I think she could be a really really big one in this game yeah, I definitely agree with that. I think if she can go out and just knock down a few threes, it's going to be really hard for Tennessee to keep up with that. They don't shoot the ball from three well at all. Like, I know UConn doesn't shoot the ball well from three, but this, it's another level of not shooting the ball well from three. So if UConn can knock down some three-quarters, whether it's AZ or Nika knocking down a couple, um, Avina knocking down a couple, we've seen them both do that over the past few games a couple times. So that would be a big step, I think, as well, if they can knock down some shots from outside that that would go a long way and then be able to get the win on that note that's going to do it for this episode of chasing perfection you can follow megan on twitter at megan gower you can follow me on twitter at daniel v Connolly. i'd say be sure to subscribe to this show tell a friend and leave a review but since we're moving i mean yeah subscribe to the yukon blog feed chasing perfection is going to be moving we'll have a formal announcement we'll have links when it becomes official when we get that page going so We'll make sure to get it out so that you can subscribe to our new feed. And we could even very well put out next week at next week's episode on the current feed that you listen to now, just so that if you miss this week's episode, which obviously if you miss this week's episode, you're not hearing this, but you'll still be able to find where chasing perfection ended up. Be sure to sign up for the Yukon women's basketball weekly subscribe. If you want excellent premium content from Megan and I, Read the UConn blog. Megan, send us out. Get excited for the game this weekend. I think we're going to learn a lot about where exactly this team is at against Tennessee. Definitely. That'll do it. Thanks for listening.